It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This is Idol Australians with James Madison and Osha Ginsberg. Exploring the bits you might have missed from Australian history and Australian culture. And of course, the magnificent Toe Hider on our theme song. Welcome to Idol Australians. I'm Osher Ginsberg. That's James Matheson. And um, we are wearing the same clothes today. I don't know what's going on. I don't think it's ever happened before. No. I think we've worn similar type genres of clothes. It feels like as we get older, we have stepped heavily into norm core. Yeah. um, (laughs) Or dad core, as I used to like to call it. It's no patterns. No branding, comfy, mm. yet kind of well-fitting. Um, yeah. Warm. War- always warm. Not daggy, but a n- long way away from cool. That is dad core. Now, just I, I, I cannot take credit for this hoodie. This hoodie was bought for me by Audrey. My hoodies have skulls and crossbones on the front of them and, and, and things written down the sleeves, and, and I, I don't know where those hoodies are now. In the house, these these are the hoodie options available to me. Um, they are the plain ones with no prints, and so most of my, in fact, everything I'm wearing right now. Yep, everything I'm wearing right now, I had nothing to do with the purchase of, and I'm wondering if this is happening in your life as well. I would say any adult male in a long term relationship with is, is interested in clothes or fashion or, or style or just has a keen eye would concur with you um, that probably 90% of what they own is now either been bought by their significant other or was culled to a point where it's indiscernible what's theirs, what they decided to wear and what was a decision of their partners. I mean, it's a very, it's not a, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a very gradual process. The slow dissolution of your own sense of fashion and for the and, better and identity let's be honest identity you, yes yes your identity gets pulled out from under you not all at once but it, it's very subtle before you know and you're like oh actually no this uh, this is how i dress now and it's better it's it's not worse it's better but the number of times where you put on an outfit and your partner, without criticising it, without telling you that it's inappropriate, but will get you to amend your behaviour, is quite stunning. It's, it often goes something like this. Oh, are you wearing that, are you? <laughs> just a question. Just, just, she's just asking a question. And, oh. and you keys, keys, keys in the hand, <clears throat> baby bag, everything ready. You're ready to go. You're momentum towards the car. Yeah. And you don't say no. You say... I was going to. <laughs> I, was, I was going to. I was thinking possibly that. No, I wasn't. No, no, it's not. 
No, as if it wasn't. Or yes, yes, of course we're this. Oh, going to. Is it just because it's easier to then just put something else on? Like, it's never been worth it to go, yes, I am going to wear this. No, no, it's never worth it. It's never, never worth it. I mean, the, the reality is twofold. One, it is easier. And two, they're always right. They're pretty they're much always right. Always right. They're like, yeah. oh, yeah, that does look, you know, like something I, I would have worn when I was 19 in late 90s. I'm sure somewhere in my house there's a Ziploc bag that just every time a wash goes through, just whoosh, secret whoosh, T-shirts just vanish. There is a Ziploc bag and it is inside a toolbox Buried about eight feet at the bottom of the backyard. They got rid of it, but a good fucking life. Did you get another t-shirt? No, not not true. Not a lie. It's not not true. <laughs> but they're always right, Jimmy. They're always right. I if I wear that Ronnie James Dio t-shirt. I look like I'm a guy in my 20s trying to wear an ironic 80s metal shirt. Mm. I'm nearly 50. I have no business wearing a Ronnie James Dio t-shirt. Speaking of which, is that, like, have you got a fade? Is that a fade going on in your haircut? Yeah, at, yeah, yeah. Like, at, yeah. at what age are we allowed to not get fades anymore? we got to be getting close. We are both pretty blessed people in the fact that our follicular generation has not petered out at the crowns or the temples of our heads. And so while we have the ability to grow a luscious amount of hair out of the tops of our heads as men, we should. The people who don't wear fades are compensating for thinning elsewhere. <laughs> that is that's bullshit. <laughs> Fade or die. Are die. you saying that I've got a young man's haircut and an old man's face? Uh, no, I'm just wondering, like, at what point we, when we go into star cuts, we can't go, yeah, I just want a number one there and, and fade it up and just for personal reference. Now, speaking of personal reference, today we're doing a show that's very close to my heart. Um, I've watched a lot of sports over the years. I've watched some series, but I think if you actually added up the amount of time... I spent watching it either myself or accompanying someone else in front of the screen. I don't think there's a show that I've watched more of than the one we are going to discuss today. And it is the, the, the longest running TV show in the country. Today's show with Carl and... Oh, no, sorry, it's uh, Koshi. You watch a lot of Koshi, don't you, no. on Channel Sunrise? No. Koshi. Is that one? Is hours that and hours of Koshi with the occasional One Nation uh, presenter. Showing up. It's um, around the same time I'm talking, of course, about play school. Oh my goodness. Yes. Australia's and almost the world's longest running children's television show. 55 years play school has been on air. A countless amount of episodes and entire generations of kids who've been through looking through the windows, singing the song, being asked, hello, how are you today? By gentle, patient, enthusiastic presenters from all walks of life. When you watch it with your kids, do you 
do you watch it from a television perspective? Do you look at the shots? Do you look at the way it's blocked out? Do you try and reverse engineer it? I mean, they're a bit older now, so they don't play school anymore. But when they did watch it, no, I didn't. I, I just sort of reveled in the fact that it was a, an oasis of, of calm from whatever craziness is going on. You switch on the radio and it's pulsating pop hits or raging talkback radio. You turn on the TV and you've got Ben 10 or you've got um, Blaze and the Monster Machines or Powerpuff Girls. It's all going loud, hectic, full speed. And this, this TV show allows kids to sort of drop in and slow down. And that, that's why I loved it when I watched it with my kids. And I guess looking back, it's, it's probably part of the appeal when I watched it as a kid. Um, there's not many things like it that are prepared to talk to kids at a human level. There's no, hi, hello darling, how are you today? It's very much talking to kids at their level, which they don't get a lot of. Young kids don't get a lot of that, either on TV or in the flesh, you know, whether it's yeah. from their grandparents or whether it's from people in the yeah. street or other relatives, there's a very common idea that we need to sort of talk to simplify these kids, or dumb simplify, down. reduce. I was going to say infantilize them, but is that where you that's kill the a right. kid? That's no, that's no, no, infanticide. No, that's infanticide. Right. Different, <laughs> different TV show. That one. Yeah, we infantilize them. We we treat them like they're this idiotic sort of simpleton whereas no matter how small they are or how young they are they have such a wealth of knowledge and i love that play school always did that so today we thought we'd actually talk to a couple of people who are integral to the whole play school machine people who have worked on this um one of them for, for over 10 years at the very highest level to make it the brilliant television show educational piece and also cultural cog that it is today. So I thought today we'd do a deep dive into, you know, one of the most important cultural icons in the Australian television industry, full stop, Play School, the, the absolute powerhouse that it is. So joining us is series producer Bryson Hall and the executive producer, a woman who's done it for well over a decade leading the charge for this incredible show, Jan Stradling, Play School. Guys, thanks for joining us on Idol Australians. Thanks for asking us. Jan, you have been guiding this ship for, I guess, over a decade now. When you take on such a, a role, what's the, the biggest fear or what are the biggest responsibilities when you say yes to something like that? I guess the, the biggest fear is that you might not do your best and it might go, all go terribly wrong. I think that you lean in more to the great challenge, you know, the opportunity. If you're in children's television to work on play school, that is, that's it. It's the pinnacle in a lot of ways in Australian television. So, I mean, when I got to do it, it's an honour and it's the sort of show that actually some people might think, oh, it's a, it's a show that hasn't changed and it's set in stone and that's that. But in actual fact, it's a show that has so many opportunities and uh so many possibilities all around it that it's 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 turned out to be really exciting and great. Let me ask you this. Noni Hazelhurst and Benita was who I grew up with, yeah. which was awesome because <laughs> then I watched Monkey Group a couple of years later and went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, who did you grow up with, Jan? 
Um, well, actually, see, I was in the UK, so I grew up with the presenters there because the place school, as you probably know, did start in the UK. So I was watching Brian Kant, I think was the name of the person. And what about you, Bryson? 80s kid too. So, yeah, sort of got uh, Noni, a bit of John Hamlin and, um, you know, that sort of that era of like play school presenters. So, yeah, it's funny, interesting because then, you know, get colleagues coming in and they're all the 90s kids, do you know what I mean? Like the, you can definitely sort of find where you, you sit on the, uh, you know, if you're a millennial or whatever, you know, by the play school presenters that you that you loved and grew up with. Yeah. It's the same with the opening titles. People go, oh, those are, those are my opening titles. Why are they different? It's an incredibly powerful show for Australian kids. It kind of grew up with the genesis of television as well. The Australian version is what we want to talk about. At what point did the ABC realise that we can use this new medium, this new broadcast, this radio with pictures? At what point did they realise we can use this for you know helping educate the young people of our country? It's hard for us to say because like it did it did start in this country in 1966. So, you know, it's been around a long time. The genesis of the show was always educational. The creators and the makers of the show really knew what they were doing. It was made with early childhood advisors from the very beginning. So that was there. But I think the interesting point, yeah, that you're saying is that when did the broadcasters really appreciate it? They appreciated Play School as a show. But did they appreciate the value of educational content? I was thinking about that. I was thinking, well, actually, I think it's relatively recently that people have really turned to educational content. You know, when I was making um, TV in the 2000s, people were like, oh, no, don't want educational content. I never really understood it because kids want educational content. They, they love to learn. It's just how you present it. And the people who make Play School are incredibly, you know, Bryson, you know, very clever because the educational value is hidden. And now, in actual fact, there's been a real turnaround and now we mine the educational value and we're actually promoting it more than ever. You know, we've got an educational website that has extra resources so parents, educators can watch the show and then dig into all the extra things we've got. You know, it's become really rich now by leaning in that direction even more. I mean, play school is learning through play, so it's not in your face education. It's just hidden very cleverly and in a fun way. You know, because of that sort of base that we've got we've been able to be really brave and we've been able to take on challenging subjects and we've been doing some amazing specials um recently around subjects like grief and things like that yeah i think now definitely people are realizing the importance of it and parents parents love it it's like okay well you're going to watch something we know that so we might watch something that's you know educational Talking about those specials, and, and you talk about grief, I think, is it Beginnings and Endings that you guys did where you actually talk about loss to children? Were you surprised by the positive reaction you got from it and just how maybe the disconnect sometimes parents have around what they think kids are able to hear and process? I think we're all a little bit surprised we knew it was like going to be a beautiful sort of program where we have a really great, you know, we work with um, specialists in the field and, and early childhood educators and we would never do anything unless we had, you know, done the proper research and got the, got the sort of, you know, approval as such of like, yes, this is a, an important uh, topic to tackle and this is how we've got to start the conversation early. You know, we have that backing, but the, on the other hand, is everyone else ready for that conversation? And and these special episodes are also very much aimed at parents in, in the sense that 
this is the sort of level of conversation that you can do. This is, this is you, you can actually be very straightforward with your kids about this and don't be wishy-washy. That was the main thing about that one. Don't be wishy-washy about your answer or try and hide it and be very specific in the language because if you're wishy-washy, it leads to more questions and more anxiety. You know, or they could be, oh, don't worry, they're watching over you or, you know, any of these sort of things that we try and say to be, you know, reassuring in an adult mind is very disconcerting in a child's mind, you know, so it's actually just being very sort of um, straight and frank and, and, you know, the more that we do these special episodes, the more we're finding that almost no uh, topic is sort of taboo. Everything can actually be started in a proper preschool way and the conversation should be started sort of very early. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's quite encouraging sort of moving forward um, doing these special episodes. Because we are play school, we can reach out to all these amazing experts. You know, it's not just, you know, it's not me and Bryson sitting there thinking, mm, how are we going to deal with grief? You know, we're really working with the best people who work in this field. So that's, that's you know, why and how we can do it. When you were coming up with this, we're going to talk about death, we're going to talk about mindfulness. What's the process of taking something that's complex for even, you know, a, a grown adult to deal with? What's the process of going from, we'd love to do a show about death and loss and grieving. How do you then distill that to a point where a, a three, four, five-year-old can appreciate it? Some of the specials that we've done, we sort of touch upon these things. Like it's probably not the first time we've, you know, we've probably read stories to do with death before on play school or whatever. The special episodes give us an opportunity to really focus in for a full 26 minutes on this one topic and then make sure that your know, parents and carers are aware that this episode is dealing with this so they can sort of make their own choices rather than being spread across five. So that's, I guess, the first thing. And then the next thing is that, yeah, when we are dealing with these experts, which is great in terms of the language we should use and whatever else, we also then have to, yeah, exactly, play schoolify those big topics into, or how does this play out? And we have outliners that work on the show. So the outliners, they, they're the ones that really come up with sort of ideas around you know, we could do toy play here or this here or make this craft or do whatever. So they're in the room and we have an early childhood advisor in the room, we have these experts in the room and we all come up with these sort of different ideas and that's how it sort of eventually gets to, you know, the final episode and, and it's finessed every step of the way. Everything is scrutinised. The little segment with little Ted and his goldfish that's died, everything in that was very particular, very pointed about how we let little Ted be sad the friends are not there to cheer him up. That's not what's happening there. So any language like that had to go. You're allowed to be sad. You're allowed. It's it's okay to be sad. That's fine. Friends can rally around you, and that's what you know. The friends are there to do. They're not there to oh cheer up, cheer up, whatever. You know, it's none of that kind of thing. So whatever we do, it's like oh toy play and the and the you know this is everything after that is like make making sure it's actually on point. So it is it is a long process for the special episodes just to make sure they're exactly right. But that said, the same thing happens to the series. You know, we every episode is quite scrutinised. The language, the ebb and flow of the episode has to be there too. It's good to focus on small things and we have large action, you know, where the, the presenters are telling them to come get up and stomp like a dinosaur or do this, you know. So you've got these sort of parts of the episode where, you focus on a small thing, but then getting them up and doing large action. And I think that helps, you know, with the, it's rare to have a 26, 28 minute, you know, children's TV show. It keeps the, the child's attention because you're going through the windows now and then you're doing large action and then you're getting told a story or whatever. So it's, it, there's always something sort of different happening along the way. Those format points really help us. Like we know in every episode, we've got a story and we know we look through the windows, you know, that they help give us some structure. 
but not too much structure. All of the, the play school presenters in the rehearsal room, they're so invested in the show and they want to make it the best it can possibly be as well. So they are just so, you know, and we do these special episodes and they, they need to be sort of taken on the journey as well, you know, going on like, is this okay? You know, are we sure this is fine? And so they need to be really reassured too because they're the face of it. You know, when, um, you know, Luke and Rachel did the, you know, anti-racism segment, you know, we're really concerned about what was going to happen, you know, if any sort of backlash or anything happens to them. They're the face of what's, you know, going on there. So, yeah. And we also ask a lot of them in that way because Alex, you know, he, he was prepared to talk about his nana who he felt close to who had died. So, he, you know, he put her photo up in the set and he spoke about her favourite recipes. So, the hosts, yeah, they're so important because they give so much, really. And Emma was pregnant in that episode too, so it was also good to yeah. focus on her being pregnant, having a baby on the set, connecting that stuff up too. So, again, like with every ebb and flow, it sort of has to have that balance. Jen, uh, have you spent a lot of time of late watching children's TV outside of what's going on in play school? Because it's mental. It is crazy. I'm talking flashes, loud music, jump cuts, action. Like you, you, you almost get anxiety flicking through kids' TV show. And then when you land on play school, it's almost like, ah, there's this oasis of calm. And if I can feel that as a parent, surely there must be something going on inside of kids when they're watching all this other e- exceptionally stimulating stuff. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think we know that the kids love all of it, but there is no doubt that play school, I mean, over the years, there's always a push to make things faster, mm. louder, like you're saying, more frenetic. And it, it has been something that not just me, but all the producers, all the EPs, they've had to fight that all the way along. You've had to fight your own instinct sometimes, you know, oh, please, let's speed this up. Let's do that. But there is no doubt that the pace and the tone of the show specifically appeals to kids from two to four. You know, they will, ch- it's just like a magic charm. They just suddenly start watching it and they'll equally probably stop watching it at a certain point. But it just is like, I think, that pace for their developmental stages. I think the fact that we allow time for the host to talk to the kids and we actually allow time for the kids to answer at home Hello, how are you today? But, you know, that's slow pace to allow those answers. That really works. Like the kids really, really believe that the hosts are their friends. Like if the kid meets Alex, Alex is really getting a lot of mentions today. But if they meet It's a heartbreak high thing. I'm still stuck on heartbreak high. (laughs) It's like, you know, oh, hi, Alex. Yeah, it's James. Hi. That's the way it is. So. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have experienced this with your kids, but I've got five and uh, seven-year-olds, so perfect sort of little, you know, for me to study and how they watch it. But when, but when they were answering back, it really sort of, you know, charming to watch. It was just so really reiterated to me, like this is so important to have that gap, you know, what's your favourite colour and make sure. And then and they even sort of just hesitate a bit and then they'll sort of chime in. So your, your pause almost has to be that little bit longer. But once they sort of get into the the rhythm of it it's just fantastic to see them like what do you think it's going to be a dinosaur you know and and whatever else so it's great that see you know seeing that interaction happen along the lines of what you're saying jim like some of the other tv that i see that is aimed at kids my son's age involves huge amounts of fantasy talking animals animals that drive police cars sometimes uh, how do we put this giant puppets that talk on set with actual humans 
What's the decision behind everything on Play School kind of being quite grounded in reality? And if a toy or a puppet moves, you can see someone's hands move it for them. What's the decision behind that? And why is that important when it comes to, you know, children's television? All of those shows that you mentioned all have their place, you know, and basically it's all about imagination. Whether it's like fantasy that the kids are watching with the puppets, that's great. But Play School, I think it manages to, I mean, imagination and play are at the centre of the show. I think we tap into childhood. Childhood is like this magical time, isn't it? When our little cardboard box becomes a pirate ship and our sheets become sails and all of that sort of thing. It's pretty amazing. So Play School taps into the imagination, but it's not animation. As you say, it's live action. But everything we show on Play School, particularly what you said then about showing the top, holding the toys, da, 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 we're actually modeling. We're actually showing what kids can do at home. So that's really where that's from. I mean, Play School was built on the premise that everything you see in that show can be done at home. That, that is our core philosophy. You know, what, when we're making something, it's usually that you might be able to get this stuff from around your home. That's the basis of it, really. I kind of feel like, you know, uh, Bluey, which is so successful, and how it shows, you know, the parents how they come up with imaginative play. You know, that's sort of what Play School's been doing for kind of years and years. We've got to take these two uh, presenters on TV who are non judgmental to the children, uh, interacting with them. It's one child behind the camera. We're not going to an audience, it's one, talking to one child. And they're the whole centre for that 26 minutes, sort of almost like how, and it's, yeah, exactly what Jan's saying, modelling play, modelling your imagination, modelling, you know, go forth and be, you know, go to space or go and see exploration or whatever it might be. Or And also the fact that it's live action, I think has really worked for Play School because it is a programme that reflects Australia and that is so important. You know, we've got Australian hosts, we've got Australian books that we read, we go for the windows and look at Australia. I think that's really important too as Bluey has been successful in that area as well. But it obviously really resonates with people to see their own culture and their own identity reflected back. I mean, Bluey, I've been forced to play a lot of games that have come through Bluey because Bluey's dad is uh, he's full of great ideas. <laughs> Often I've been forced to play games like Moon Boot and uh, Wind Up. Right. What, is, what am I doing again? And kids will explain to me, okay, this is what you now need to do because you are Bluey's dad. Yeah. yeah. And I guess this is the same thing that's happened with parents too. It's like, can we make some cardboard roll people or can we do this? Or And I had um, one, you know, where they did like a simple little, you know, um, you know, ma- making ice and you just put like a little bit of fruit, like a berry in it and they put it in the fridge and then um, my kids just ran, this is a play school episode and they like, can we do that fruit, you know, ice fruit thing, you know, straight, yeah, yeah, you know, like, so it's just great. I think it's just so um, great when the kids sort of get, little, you know, really inspired by what they've seen and just want to actually go and do it straight away. You mentioned Big Ted, you mentioned Little Ted. Wolfie, my, my youngest, he has a bunny. He doesn't realise, but bunny is a triplet. Very clever. Yeah, Bunny's a triplet. And occasionally when Bunny goes in the gutter or in the porridge or whatever, um, there's a bit of David Copperfield and then Bunny's clean again. What's the protocol around Big Ted and Little Ted? The Like, is that like, you know, you put the gloves on and you go into the secret room to touch these toys that have been, like, are there multiples? Are there stand-ins? Are there stunt doubles? What's it work with the, hero, the like the hero props? Many of the toys are originals, like a lot of them. Um, wow. But when it comes to the four, yes, they do have a few. 
body doubles. Yep. Uh, and and I, I used to get, when I first started, I used to be like, oh, we're going to have this birthday scene, so we'll have the cake that we've made and all the toys, toys will be there and designed to, no, you won't. That real food is not going anywhere near the toys. It's, the, the toys have their cake and make sure the other real cake is away. Like, because the toys don't want them to go, flip, you know, fall over and go splat in the cake or the whatever else. So there are, you know, we definitely have to separate yeah. real food that they're never in the kitchen rarely if they are it's like make sure they're very much wow. away from any of the food you know they've got to be yes maintained to you know to a high standard and the bunny going in a porridge is not it cannot happen wow. you know bryson's new here he doesn't understand how we <laughs> treat the toys the toys will be in their trailer the toys yeah. will have a rider and the toys you will look at the toys when they speak to you directly, Bison. <laughs> yes, that's it. That is it. I, I was put in my place very quickly. A couple of years back, I think it was the 50th anniversary, when all the Play School cast showed up to the Logies and Benita had Big Ted with her. And let me tell you, I've seen a couple of uh, six o'clock soap stars go nuts at the Logies. Big Ted fucking pushed the boat away from the wharf that night. Hey. Yeah, I was there last, that night. I saw that. <laughs> Jemima was also there. He had a bit of a wardrobe malfunction uh, the day before because um, I hadn't seen what she was wearing and I went down to see what she was wearing and it just wasn't right. So the whole wardrobe department had to quickly come up with a special Logies outfit that, that felt was true to Jemima, which was a very funky blue sparkly trouser suit. The ABC and In Play School has a unique situation in that sometimes they can be used as a punching bag in culture wars. How much of that is in the back of your mind when you are thinking about planning and also updating and trying to reflect the program being that of all Australians? Sometimes we just think, you know, whatever we're doing is never political. What we're doing, and it makes it quite simple, is we just think, are we reflecting the life of an Australian child? And that's really it. Whatever it might be, whether it might be same-sex parents or whatever it might be, that if we reflect that is our, our aim, that basically we want Australian children to see their lives reflected on the screen. And as long as we're doing that, that's actually quite quite straightforward. And, yes, sometimes people don't like it. It feels like we're, we've evolved. And there you go. It, you know, having a, night, a, a program like Play School that goes 55 years, you actually know the flashpoints, and it, it does actually reflect the change in society. People think that we're putting some sort of agenda on the table that is an adult agenda where, where it, it isn't. It'll be like, oh, we're going to go and we're going to go to the Mardi Gras and we're going to go and we're going to take a kid because they're going anywhere with the, rain, with the rainbow families. You know, it's like they forget. That is just part of life in Australia, whether, whether people like it or not sometimes. A big part of, I think, Play School's influence upon me when I think about my own uh, influences has been the musical influences of the show. As an adult now, noticing that the music's always performed live, it's a simple accompanist, it's a pianist live accompanying the performers. Can you talk, talk to us a bit about that, the choice of involving music so heavily and what it's like working with a live accompanist and why? Because playback would be so much easier and lip sync would be so much easier. Why a live accompanist why, and why just the simple instrumentation of just a piano? It would be if you're doing a little music video of just that song, but it isn't when you're also trying to craft something, sing, engage, you know, and then if anything goes wrong and they just need to sort of go again or whatever, the pianist is just reacting to all of that live in, and, and playing on something that's, that's just fallen or whatever. So it would be 
uh, a longer process to do that, to do the show in terms of getting it scored later or doing whatever. The pianist the, is like a third presenter. You know, it's like the unseen third presenter that is engaging with the other presenters as well, you know, and it's just the sort of, I guess, the way it's been since, you know, it started and we've had sort of keyboards, we've had, you know, we've got sort of a, a piano now. So sometimes we have live bands on other shows, we have different kinds of music sort of for art time or nursery rhyme news time. So there's a wide range of music, but yeah, for the Play School series, the live piano is just so important. People are really engaged with it. It's a very simple sort of thing and it means, yeah, that they, it can ebb and flow with the presenter's performance. I love that he wrote the music for the Peter Jackson films. It's the same guy that worked with Peter Jackson. It's so cool. Yeah, yeah. He's he Peter's been doing uh, Peter Dason's been doing uh, the show since about two thousand, and so before then, Max Lambert was the musical director, and he went off and did the two thousand Olympics. So that's when Peter sort of came in there. So it, you know, it's had this sort of like you know great alumni of like pianists, and I mean, it is a thing to watch someone live play to something. Like we do, we do the story read. He'll, in rehearsal, he'll just sort of look over the, the shoulder just to see the pictures, see the sort of idea of the story. And then when we sort of do a kind of a final, he'll just play live over the story read and it's just, you know, perfect. And, and of course, in rehearsals or in, in the studio, he'll be very, you know, clever and sort of bring in a bit of David Bowie sort of um, star man, you know, or, you know, anything that, that's going on if we're in space or something. But then obviously in the take, it's all... But sometimes if you do notice, there's like a few little notes that's just enough to sort of, you know, for adults to get that like hint and you may not even know, but you're like, oh, this music's so great because so, you just almost started playing something. Sometimes younger people say to me, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Oh, I, I, don't wanna, I don't know what I want to do. And I always say to them, well, why the fuck are you asking me? But I also say, like, what, that, it doesn't really matter, but what, you want to find is something that gives you purpose, something that has purpose. And when you guys work on a show like this, I can imagine that, you know, obviously there must be long days and there's challenging and there's maybe office politics and, and conflicting ideas, but do you always feel like you come back to that, that we have purpose here because we're making something that, that actually matters to probably the most important people there are, kids? Yeah, I do. I think that, um, you know, the kids of today are the adults of tomorrow. And uh, I think that sometimes you make, you know, content that really resonates with people. Like, you know, people remember. They'll remember the opening titles. They'll have a favourite presenter, favourite toy. They'll have a favourite moment, you know, and you've created that. Yeah, and as you said, I've had lots of people that have either it's been the arts or the music or, you know, the, even just the, the, the you know, the fun when someone puts on a wig and, and pretends to be something. So that, you know, brings in performance could be a, a leading sort of way into acting. I feel like anything that you, that we do, I'm sort of learning something along the way. Yeah. And sometimes it comes back full circle because we get feedback. And, um, you know, recently when we did the mindfulness special, you know, one of one feedback was, um, from a mum and she was, um, come in a remote area and she said she'd had a terrible day I think she'd lost her job everything had gone wrong and a little three-year-old climbed on her lap and said just take some deep breaths mum and she was like what? where did you learn that and he was like play school and because she was crying and so the kids raced in to help her out yeah and said so got, got her to start breathing take some deep breaths you know in and out and it'll be all right and yeah she was just totally taken aback it was, yeah, that was one of the best, you know, bits of feedback I think we've ever got. There's a bear in there. 
I love that. I love that a three-year-old is helping out his mum to, you know, find a, a place of stillness. Because kids know an extraordinary amount, way more than we give them credit for. And they also haven't lost that ability to intuit what's going on around them, which gets beaten and taught and conditioned out of us. And so I love any moment or any story or any empowerment of a kid's ability to be able to teach us and take us on on a journey of you know a better way to behave or a better way to be absolutely and what i I loved hearing jan say as her you know the place that where she stands from the place where she stands to then create the shows is we're reflecting what a child's life looks like and and then to hear as well, like, and if if we get a bit of feedback that's just comf- uncomfortable, it's more probably to do with the fact that the kid asked the parent a question that they are not comfortable with, and so at the same time, it challenges us as parents to see how much the world has changed since we were kids, you know, and to look and go, ah, right, they're just reflecting what the child's life is like today. And I thought, you know, that's it's so powerful to, as to start from there, to make a show from there. And in many ways allows us as adults to see the world through the kids' eyes. I love that they've got that uh, episode, beginnings and endings, his parents. People in general don't want to talk about death, especially no. with kids. But they hear everything. They see everything. They feel everything. Using that sort of wishy-washy, that vague language around their own mortality and your mortality, I reckon, does them more harm than good. There's this line of thinking that you don't want to ruin their innocence but like they have an incredible ability to understand the the breadth of things more than we give Mm. them credit for you know we're pretty straight up with our kids like we you know we've we've lost pets before and animals killed by the roadside when you go on a road trip and you know you let them know that that happens that's life they're gonna die I tell my kids they're going to die. I tell my kids that not soon, not obviously, not soon. <laughs> <laughs> right right before bed, right after you close the story, yeah. and you'll die too and you'll one day. Die Good night. <laughs> one day. Who knows when? Could, Could be, be sooner than you think. <laughs> Sleep tight. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> Maybe that's how you get out of story time. <laughs> you got you got to tell your kids they're going to die. But, yeah, well, I mean, all, all the time we're like, yeah, you know, when we're gone, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to be here forever, you know, and one day you'll die. One day, you know, one day everything <laughs> will be dead. <laughs> one day everyone you love will be. Here, song. Here, kids, listen to this song from the Flaming Lips. Everyone you know someday will die. <laughs> it's a great song. I think you're absolutely right, though, Jim. Yeah, there was this great book that we read when we were trying to sleep train Wolf and, you know, we we're just looking for the support around how to get past those 20 minutes of agonizing screaming from his room when he's trying to get himself to sleep. The book had this kind of phrase, I'm paraphrasing, but it was along the lines of like, it's, it's more cruel to send a kid into the life without the skill of being able to settle themselves than it is to let them kind of cry and be discom- uncomfortable for 10 or 15 minutes. When I see Wolf able to settle himself now, it's like, my God, this kid's now got a skill for life. And in many ways, I think there's a parallel there. You're like trying to create some sort of confabulation around when you look at the stars, that's your cat looking down on you. And then what happens when they kind of realize that you lied to them? That's going to create more damage later on, surely, than telling them 
the truth. I mean, it's 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 tricky sometimes. You know, we're I, we're we're pretty. I mean, some people would call it brutal. Like we're talking about Santa Claus. I think at about two and four, maybe. No, nah, not real. It's us. We walk in at night when you're asleep. Yeah. But the rationale behind that was, well, if they grow up to be a bit older and you've told them that it's you that's taking a bite out of the cookie and it's you that is planting these presents under the tree and it's, it's, it's you that is taking a sip of milk. It's like, well, hang on, if you lied to me so brazenly about that and staged uh, some sort of pantomime behind my back, like when well, have you been full of shit on everything? Like where is the line? It's not easy, but, yeah, that was our take. And it, it took them about two minutes. They're like, oh, oh, I see, oh, you know. The, the theatrics of it were the thing that, made us uncomfortable more than just the the lie you know we, they know that Peppa, we just like Peppa Pig's a character Bluey's a character Santa Claus is a character yeah who knows if they end up fucked up well, you know, time will tell but um, it's fine because both you and them will be dead one day <laughs> <laughs> incredible stuff great story great show and yeah as we said at the very start you know there's very few bits of television or media that feels like everyone who's grown up in Australia, every single one of us has had a nice 25 minutes of educational calm in the hands yeah. of Jay or Noni or Benita or Reese, Monica, Alex yeah. Paps, Eddie. Alex Paps was playing a cello the other day. The guy can do anything. Should get him on. Should get him on. Thanks for joining us. As always, this is Idle Australians. If you want to share a story idea that we can dig into to mine the rich history of our pop and historical culture, let us know. Idleaustralians at gmail.com. Yeah, this episode was uh, audio produced by Daryl Misson. Uh, research and production was by the magnificent Bree Steele. And um, James Matheson and I somehow managed to wear almost matching unique low hoodies today. Twinning! Totally twinning. See you next week.